Right, Judges chapter 17, and Judges chapter 17 and 18 is this sort of bizarre story of wickedness from pretty much everyone involved, and there's one verse in the middle of it which explains all of this craziness, and it's Judges chapter 17 verse 6, and the Bible says, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now, what's interesting is that statement is also made in the last verse of the book of Judges. And there are some wild stories, aren't there, in the book of Judges? Anyone that's read through the book of Judges before knows there's some pretty crazy stories in there. But this truth seems to especially need reinforcing right here in case you're reading any of this and thinking that any of this is ordained of God, yeah? Any of this, this chapter and obviously the chapter that follows it afterwards. Now, again, in those days there was no king in Israel but every man did that which was right in his own eyes now what's going on here so you've got Micah admitting to stealing a small fortune off his mother okay his mother claiming she had dedicated the money to the Lord to make a graven and a molten image I mean absolutely ridiculous straight away there isn't it obviously Exodus 24 says thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth but she seems to think she's dedicating that to the Lord she then uses just 200 remember in verse 3 she said that she'd wholly dedicated it Um, but she then uses just 200 of the 1100 pieces of silver to make these graven and molten images okay Micah then, he's made some sort of false church, an ephod, which is basically a sacred top for priests, teraphim, which are some sort of images and idols, and in verse 5, if you have a look at verse 5 there, he's made these things and consecrated one of his sons who becomes his priest. So this is basically a ceremonial dedicating of one of his sons to become his priest, yeah? Basically, Micah, he's just getting it all wrong, isn't he? He's getting it all wrong. He's obviously had some guilt at the beginning, hasn't he? He's had some guilt to admit to his mum. He's tried to make things right with her. But now he's doing home church with images, making his son the priest. And remember, we just read verse 6. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Okay, now have a look from verse 7 here. And we're just going to read over it again. There was a young man out of Bethlehem, Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And a man departed out of the city from Bethlehem, Judah, to sojourn where he could find a place. And he came to Mount Ephraim, to the house of Micah, as he journeyed. And Micah said unto him, Whence comest thou? And he said unto him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem, Judah, and I go to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said unto him, Dwell with me, and be unto me a father and a priest, and I will give thee ten shekels of silver by the year, and a suit of apparel, and thy victuals. So the Levite went in. And the Levite was content to dwell with a man, and a young man was unto him as one of his sons. And Micah consecrated the Levite, and a young man became his priest, and was in the house of Micah. Then said Micah, Now know I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. And now you've got this wicked, unqualified mercenary calling himself a priest. Okay, and the title of my sermon today is Salam Kamara is unqualified and a thief. Salam Kamara is unqualified and a thief. Who is Salam Kamara? Most of you probably know who he is. Some of you might not. Salam Kamara is a former pastor, in inverted commas, of Nioth Baptist Church, which was in New Cross, London. Okay, why am I preaching about this clown? And he is a clown. Because Salam stole upwards of £40,000 from God and God's people. Upwards of £40,000 by, by everyone's reckoning who was there so far from God and God's people. And some believe that Salam will, will one day have another shot at pastoring and pilfering. Okay? Some believe, who know him, think that when the dust is settled, he'll be back trying to pastor and pilfer. Because Proverbs 26.11 says, As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. And you've got to be some special kind of fool, haven't you, to steal from God. Haven't you? Some special kind of fool. Now, a bit of background to Salam. He was at Community Baptist in Chelsea where he already had his sights on pastoring. Okay, shortly after marrying, he put himself forward for the vacant pastor role at Community Baptist. Now, the congregation rejected him, and he left, quite upset, I think, and joined Downham Baptist. He was then at Downham Baptist, where there was this bizarre situation, which wouldn't have seemed out of place in Judges 17. After a few months at Downham, Salam preached at the first UK soul-winning mega-marathon back in 2018, 
Okay, he then gained some respect amongst people and a growing group were joining him at Downham Baptist. Now, the, the pastor at Downham uh, called Travis Snowd, Pastor Travis Snowd, wanted to get these people out of the church, basically. So there's this growing group, a similar situation we've seen before at churches. And now there's two differing stories as to what happened next. Number one is that he prayed over Salam and the group, gave them some hymnals and made it clear that he was not ordaining him. He was cutting ties and basically kicking him out in a non-confrontational way. He's quite a non-confrontational guy, knowing that Salam was starting a church though. Number two is that the pastor ordained Salam so that he would leave peaceably and start his own church, but again, with no ties from Downham, not being sent out by Downham. Okay, now you might be thinking, well, if number two's true, it sounds okay, doesn't it? Isn't that, that's not so bad, is it? He got ordained by, by a pastor well there's one little problem like the Levite in Judges 17 who wasn't of the sons of Aaron and therefore not qualified to be a priest Salam failed to meet the clear biblical qualifications to be a New Testament pastor okay he fell now I don't care if this pastor Snowd ordained him or not because there was a debate about it. it doesn't matter none of that matters because I'm sure that my wife could go and find someone to ordain her in fact, I'm sure probably somewhere in the world, probably my daughter Ella can find someone to ordain her. Would that make her a pastor? Would that make my wife a pastor if she found someone that agreed to ordain her? No. Okay, it wouldn't. And this isn't just a little technicality. Well, it's just a little thing there. He actually failed on multiple points, multiple parts of the qualifications. Now, turn to 1 Timothy 3, which along with Titus 1 are the two clear passages setting out the qualifications for an elder or bishop meaning overseer okay and the titles are used interchangeably in titus the elder and bishop and let's have a look at first timothy 3 and we'll, we'll just 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 read part of it quickly anyway this is a true saying if a man desire the office of a bishop he desires the good work a bishop then must be blameless a husband of one wife vigilant sober of good behavior given to hospitality apt to teach not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a ruler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest, lef, uh, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Okay. Let's start with the obvious one there. So the clearly most obvious one, not subjective at all, from verse 4, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Okay, now keep a finger there and just turn over to Titus chapter 1 and verse 6. Talking again about a bishop or elder... If any be blameless, the husband of one wife having faithful children, not accused of right or unruly. So in both passages, it's a given, isn't it, that he has children? Both passages. Not if he has children, then they need to be in subjection. Titus 1.6 is the clearest. It says, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife having faithful children, not accused of right or unruly. Right. Why is that important? Well, firstly, because God said so. Yeah, God said he having faithful children. Okay, I, I mean, that should be enough for us, shouldn't it? Having faithful children. I don't care who ordains you. You're not a pastor by God's criteria if you don't have children. Okay, for starters. What does the F stand for in IFB? Anyone? Fundamental. We believe in the fundamentals of this book, don't we? Okay, and when it clearly sets out something in this book, we should be following it, shouldn't we? And what business have you pastoring, calling yourself a pastor, if you can't even follow the most basic part of the qualifications for being a pastor? Okay, but why else is it important? So not only because God clearly said that's what it must be, why else is it important? Anyone can have children, isn't that easy? Anyone can have children. Yes, but a pastor must also rule well his own house. Having his children in subjection with all gravity. Okay, all gravity. Faithful children, not accused of right or unruly. Why? Okay, verse 5 says, For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? And for you fathers here, ruling, leading a home has many challenges, doesn't it? Yeah. 
doesn't it have many, many challenges leading a home? It's not only a test of your leadership abilities, it's also training as well, isn't it? Isn't that training? Ruling a home, leading a home. That has a lot of challenges and you'll get different challenges coming up over the years. Now, it didn't say perfect children. These aren't perfect children, but these are faithful, trustworthy, loyal, dutiful, in the faith. Yeah, in the faith. In subjection is, is, is as you know, in subjection, submitting. It's gravity is dignity here. Not accused of riot or unruly. Okay, now... I would say it just on a, on a quick side note here that that to fulfil these that though those children can't all still be toddlers, can they? Okay, so you have a couple of twin babies. I don't think you're 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 qualified to pastor. Okay, because here they're faithful, trustworthy, law. They have to get to a certain age for you to be able to judge that, don't they? Surely. Now I'm not saying all your kids have to be that age, but I would say that you least need to at least have a couple of children that are showing that. That's how I see that. Um, if you don't even have kids, how on earth have you fulfilled that criteria? No way. You can't. It's impossible. Okay. Oh, but he eventually had one child. He's got a second on the way. Okay. But if this fool wants to return to his folly, he fails on another qualification, doesn't he? Titus 1.6 said, if any be blameless. 1 Timothy 3.2 says, a bishop then must be blameless. Whether or not he was before, Salam cannot claim to be blameless anymore, ever again, can he? He can't. Okay, go back to Judges 17. Let's see what happens in Judges 17 with this unqualified priest. So, so in Judges 17, Micah is in the wrong, wrong isn't he? His mum's in the wrong. And on that, in the same way, anyone going to that church was in the wrong. Okay? Let's, let's call it what it is. Anyone who went to that church was in the wrong. Now, you might say, oh, but the other churches in London would preach your false gospel. Don't go to them either. No one said you had to go to those churches. Look, newsflash, God never promised you a church within an hour of your house. God never promised you a good church. Okay? But he never promised you a church within an hour of your house, did he? I, 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 I didn't read that in the Bible. Did anyone read that in the Bible? No. And I, look, I know it's hard to travel long journeys to rubbish churches, Okay? But at least they're churches. Okay? If they're churches, if they're preaching the gospel, and they've got the Bible, and there's some form of outreach, they're still a, they're still a church, aren't they? Okay, they're still a church. Now, I'm not saying that you, you have to go to Repent of Your Sins Baptist. Don't go there. I agree. As soon as it's clear and 100%, and don't just, just cast every, every church under the bus because you just assume they must be. And obviously, we don't have that problem now, do we? But before, but that doesn't mean you go to an unqualified church, does it? Okay, you've got no business. And I hope that no one here, and I hope no one who watches this is still justifying it. Okay, because, but a lot of people were new Christians then, weren't they? A lot of people were immature Christians, were young Christians, and hopefully they've learnt from this. Well, hopefully at the end of this they will have done anyway. So 1 Samuel 15.23 says, For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as, is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Okay, and anyone who's still stubborn enough to say, well, no, it's the right decision, no, you know, well, there was nothing else, well, no, you're wrong. You're 100% wrong, you should never have gone there. Okay, but with Micah, with Micah, in, in Judges 17, maybe there was nothing nearby in Mount Ephraim either. We don't know how far it was. We don't know what that journey was. But what happens when we do what's right in our own eyes? Now, in this story, though, who do you think God holds to, to higher account here? Who do you think he holds to account here more? I would say 100% it's that Levite, isn't it? This unqualified Levite. He's a Levite. He surely has or could have gained some knowledge of the law, the qualifications, etc. Surely you had to be of Aaron, of one of Aaron's sons. Um, remember, for unto, unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And that's the same with this Salam, isn't it? I'm assuming that he had some Bible knowledge to have had a following in the first place. He must have had something to have had some people follow him. What's his motivation? What was his motivation? What was the priest's motivation? Well, have a look at, at Judges 17.10. Judges 17.10. And Micah said unto him, Dwell with me, and be unto me a father and a priest, and I will give thee ten shekels of silver by the year, and a suit of apparel, and thy victuals. So the Levite went in. It's the money, isn't it? It's all about the money. 
all comes back to the filthy lucre. Verse 11, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man was unto him as one of his sons. So he's gone in, and he's content, isn't he? Despite the grave and a molten image, the teraphim. Because once compromising starts, it doesn't finish, does it? Once you start compromising on the word of God, it doesn't finish. Verse 13 says, Then said Micah, Now know I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. How misled. Eh? How misled. But also, what's his motivation? What's, what's Micah's motivation? He's seeking prosperity from God instead of God's will. And I, I would, again, I'm not going to go, uh, this will be the last time I hit on the people that were at that church, but was their motivation really seeking God's will to go to church? Or was it some sort of blessing from being at a church? Were they seeking the prosperity of going to a church? Because if they were seeking God's will, they wouldn't have gone to a church with an unqualified pastor. Okay. Do you think the Lord did him good? Do you think the Lord did Micah good? No, anyone who's read this story sees 100% not. Turn forward to Judges 18. Okay, so in Judges 18, the children of Dan have sent out five scouts to search for more land to conquer. Okay, they stop at Micah's house and recognize the priest. So have a look at verse 3 here. It says, When they were by the house of Micah, they knew the voice of the young man, the Levite, and they turned in thither and said unto him, Who brought thee hither? And what makest thou in, in this place? And what hast thou here? And he said unto them, Thus and thus dealeth Micah with me, and hath hired me, and I am his priest. And they said unto him, Ask counsel, we pray thee, of God, that we may know whether our way which we go shall be prosperous. And the priest said unto him, Go in peace, before the Lord is your way wherein ye go. So the unqualified priest is starting to buddy up now to, to others, isn't he? So he's starting to buddy up to others. Now, why are the, are the Danites still looking for land to conquer? Well, in, you don't have to turn to it. In Judges chapter 1, verse 34, it says, And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountain for they would not suffer them to come down to the valley. Now, the Amorites were meant to be conquered to, to gain land, but they were so weak. They were like your weak, liberal, worldly Christians, the Danites, who are basically chased off by the world up into the mountains. And now the unqualified priest is, is now speaking flattering words to your worldly liberal Christians, which is interesting, as apparently Salam started watering down his doctrine more recently to appeal to the worldly Christians. Okay, claiming that Leviticus 20 is no longer applicable. That Leviticus 20 is no more apl applicable to New Testament Christians. No, a righteous government would instill Leviticus 20, wouldn't it? Okay, the seemingly now more and more fashionable, subtle digs at the NIFB pastors that got him his church in the first place, really, wasn't it? Because he claimed to agree with NIFB, what we call NIFB doctrine, and then like all these guys go, once they get their following, they then start to get uncomfortable that their following listens to pastors that are 100 times better than them. So then they start whispering and then they start giving little digs in their sermons and little things about pretentious pastors one of the names of one of his sermons i listened to some of that here on the way here good i don't know how anyone sat in that church it is bad okay regardless now the danites return with 600 men okay about to invade a quiet village so have a look at verse 13 now in judges 18 and they passed thence unto mount ephraim and came unto the house of micah then answered the five men that went out to spy out the country of Laish and said unto their brethren, Do ye know that there is in, in these houses an ephod and teraphim and a graven image and a molten image? Now therefore consider what ye have to do. And they turned thitherward and came to the house of the young man, the Levi, even unto the house of Micah and saluted him. So remember, he's already earlier been speaking flattering words to them and now they're saluting him, aren't they? You know, and that's it. You start to appeal to the world. And that's what these, these pastors do, is they get, they get their following and then they start trying to appeal to the world and then they start trying to pull their following away from the people that got them there in the first place. And, and just on that, I don't know if you know, say any of you ever watched the com read the comments of this stuff? You, I mean, a lot of the pastors that we love, a lot of the pastors that we have learned so much from and have gained so much from, haven't we, spiritually, um, a lot of them get really attacked by these anonymous, these anonymous YouTube accounts, yeah, who seem to be spending their lives, because there's a lot of time spent on there, attacking men of God, yeah, under the claim of, well, they're this, they're that. But these guys, let's put, put it by the world standard, they're, they're preaching to 
what, a few hundred people in a church, maybe what, a couple of few thousand max on YouTube, maybe some of those sermons eventually get a few more viewings. Why aren't they on, on Joel Osteen's pages? Why aren't they on, on TD Jakes or Creflo Dollar or the rest of these clowns? Why aren't they there? Well, we know why, don't we? Because we know what really their motivation is. But they claim it's because they're just so upset about the behaviour of NIFB pastors and everything else. It's just ridiculous. And in the same way, he was just the you know, little preaching, little subtle digs at them and everything else. Why, don't, why aren't you going on about the rest of them? Anyway, verse 16. And the 600 men appointed with their weapons of war, which were of the children of Dan, stood by the entering of the gate. And the five men that went out to spy out the land went up and came in thither, and took the graven image, and the ephod, and the teraphim, and the molten image. And the priest stood in the entering of the gate with the 600 men that were appointed with weapons of war. So he's standing with them now, isn't he? What a turncoat. Verse 18, and these went into Micah's house, and fetched the carved image, the ephod, and the teraphim, and the molten image. Then said the priest unto them, what do ye? He didn't tell them to stop though, did he? Just ask them what they're doing. Didn't ask them to stop. Verse 19, they said unto him, Hold thy peace. Lay thine hand upon thy mouth and go with us and be to us a father and a priest. It is, better for thee to, is it better for thee to be a priest unto the house of one man or that thou be a priest unto a tribe and a family in Israel? So basically you can get more money and acclaim with us. Yeah. Now have a look at verse 20. And the priest's heart was glad and he took the ephod and the teraphim and the graven image and went in the midst of the people. His heart was glad because he's a mercenary. He never had respect for God's way, did he? He never had respect for God's way. And don't miss that in that verse. Who's got the ephod? Who's got the teraphim and the graven image? Yeah. The fake priest, the unqualified priest. He ends up stealing from Micah and joining the worldly liberals. An unqualified thief. Well, he's qualified as a thief, but he's unqualified and a thief. And that's where Salah will likely try to end up, won't he? Some watered-down, non-denom church, having stolen multiple tens of thousands of pounds from misled Christians and ultimately from God. Okay, and that's probably where he's going to end up, isn't he? Okay, and, and, but the thing is with that, you might think, well, what, 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 how does that affect us? Because he'll still likely, unless he is a full-on false prophet, he's still likely going to appear to have the King James Bible, have the right gospel, yeah, maybe even claim to go soul winning and everything else. And there are going to be people around the country, like there already were, that are going to look for a church who've got saved, maybe online or through someone else. Maybe people, you and I and, and other soul winners have got saved, who are going to look for churches at some point in the future and find this clown and end up there. Okay, we read earlier, Titus 1.6 said, if any be blameless. 1 Timothy 3.2 says, a bishop then must be blameless. He can never be considered blameless again, can he? Never. Being a pastor is different. Being a pastor is different. As a brother or sister in, in Christ, even after church discipline, okay, you can be restored, can't you? You're repentant. You seek forgiveness. You can be restored. You can be restored to fellowship. But as a pastor, you're permanently disqualified. You're permanently disqualified if you have ever stolen money as a pastor from a church. Okay, let's make that clear. You are, you are no lot, you can never be considered blameless again, can you? Okay, he is permanently disqualified. Okay, you, you, like I said, you could be restored into fellowship. He could be restored into fellowship with people. Again, if he was truly repentant. Okay, but, and that's assuming he's not a covetous reprobate. That's assuming, and that's a big assumption that he's not a covetous reprobate. Okay, but you're never, you'll never be blameless again, will you? You will never be blameless again. And just to make it clear about this, Salam had a small church of less than 20 members with little outgoings and some faithful tithers, okay? They had, a, they had some soul-winning flyers, and that was pretty much it for their outgoings. No Bibles, no other things, just a few flyers that were on a deal from someone he knew. Now, after a few months at his home, they rented a cheap community hall, Okay? and eventually compacted the two services into one long service with a half-hour break in the middle. Basically, I think, to get cheaper rent of the community hall. Okay, so they basically had a, had a service with a little 30 to 40-minute sermonette. Then they, had a, then they had a break for food, then another service. Okay? okay, he started the church 
whilst in other full-time employment and was never meant to be getting a wage from the church, okay? There was never any agreement that he was being paid by the church, okay? It was a church of 15 to 20 people and he had a full-time job. And like I said, the outgoings were nothing. He wasn't really doing much other than a couple of little sermonettes, okay? Without anyone's knowledge, he was transferring money from the church bank account into his own. And there also seems to be no record of the cash offerings. No one can find any record of all the cash offerings from every week. And he also had early on big bulk payments paid by, I think, Donnie Romero. What a surprise there that he was a supporter. And a couple of other guys gave some big cash, big cash donations. So far, he has admitted to taking £12,583.93. But the real total is way higher way that's all he's admitted to okay way higher it's calculated about 40,000 is a bare minimum so far right they've calculated 24,278 pounds and 56 from October 18 to April 21 which like I said doesn't include any of the early large offerings as he claims that he lost those records the PayPal account for online donations was closed by him too so no one can have any record of what online donations ever came in um now, this wasn't an isolated incident. This wasn't some moment of madness where Salam just had this crazy kind of thought and just cleared out everything from the church had been saving up or anything else. No, this was consistent from the beginning of his ministry. Okay, from the beginning of his ministry, he was just siphoning off the money for himself. Now, he was eventually forced, forced, not that he owned up and was repentant. He was forced by the men of the church to step down. Okay, like I said, unrepentant. And Proverbs 2017, you don't have to turn there, says, Bread of deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth shall be filled with gravel. Okay? And his mouth will be filled with gravel. Absolute pond-dwelling scum, isn't he? He is scum. Absolute scum. And he will never be qualified to pastor again. But Salam, it's not just the kids' bit. Salam was already unqualified in other areas. And we can learn a bit from this. So go back to 1 Timothy and chapter 3. First Timothy chapter 3 and from verse 1 this is a true saying if a man desire the office of a bishop he desireth a good work so there's nothing wrong with wanting that role but there's a difference between desiring and forcing it at all costs yeah there's a big difference desire is to wish for the possession or enjoyment of with a greater or less degree of earnestness to covet and that's covered in a good sense here, it expresses less strength of affection than longing, okay? Desire it, sure, but if you're longing for that job, you've got to question the motives, don't you? If you're longing for it, he was already, he'd already gone for the role at a previous church. That was already his goal from early, whilst unqualified still. And Salam, he didn't seem fussed at all about the small issue of qualifications, did he? Okay, he was longing for this job. He wanted this job no matter what. Verse 2 says, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behaviour, given to hospitality, apt to teach. So whether or not he was before, like we said, since stealing the money from God, he is no longer blameless. Okay, of good, of good behaviour. Well, you can decide about that now, can't you? But given to hospitality, what about this one? Now, I heard this terrible story where Salam had invited a pregnant sister in Christ to stay for a few months at his house. As the husband was out of the country and said that they would feed her, okay? He said that she could stay, we'll look after her. Nothing was mentioned about rent at this point, yeah? Then suddenly, when it was all agreed, no going back now, he then suddenly charged her an extortionate rent, yeah, to stay at the house, £800 per month, okay? £800 per month to stay at the house, which eventually, because then he was real tight for cash, went up to £1,100 at some point during the three-month stay at his house. Then he didn't feed her. Didn't feed her either. So this lady's then having to withdraw money out to go and buy food for herself because she's not getting fed for her rent of between £800 and eventually £1,100 a month. Given the hospitality, eh? Wow. What a, mer what a scumbag, eh? Apt to teach. Well, he's managed, not to, he's managed to teach everyone how not to be a pastor, isn't he? On the plus side. So we'll give him one ear. He was apt to teach. 
Uh, verse 3, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. Not greedy of filthy lucre, not covetous. You can see why God has these rules, can't you? You can see why God has these rules. And I don't know if the signs were there before he started pastoring. I don't know. Um, I, don't, I don't know the guy. But that's why ordaining pastors isn't something you do on a whim, is it? Because you've got to know, haven't you? Before you ordain someone as a pastor and send them out, you have to know for sure that they are not covetous. They are not greedy or filthy lucre. Okay? It's not something you just send someone out. Oh, well, yeah, they've got some kids. Out you go. You know? It's not something you do to get someone out of your church. If that really did happen, and I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the real truth is there. But if he really did ordain him as a pastor to get him out of the church without having a row, and, and really because you don't have, maybe have a biblical reason to kick them out, then that is wicked, isn't it? Because look, look what you're causing there. But I don't know if, if that's what happened there. Okay, but what was the result? Well, look at the result for Micah. Like I said last week, you have to hate covetousness, don't you? Hate it. Not just, oh, well, I don't think I'm very covetous. Yeah, yeah. no, you've got to hate it. Absolutely hate it. Because, look, there's so, there can be so many temptations, can't there, as a pastor? All that money, you're looking at bank balances, cash is coming in, the rest of it, you have to absolutely hate it. There has to be no sign of it at all for someone to be ordained as a pastor. Okay, and, and look, there can be many signs, can't there? There can be many signs. And a pastor, that's why ideally, and we're in a weird situation in this church, but a pastor should be analysing people that eventually, and not just constantly making a checklist on them, but they should be getting an idea if that person who eventually I might send out in the future, if there's any sign of covetousness, any sign of greed or filthy lucre, then they have no business ever sending them out, do they? And ideally that happens over a time period in a church. That's why churches should be sending out from their own churches, shouldn't they? And it's not just to kick someone out of your church. Okay, and, and there are many signs, I think, long before the Judas money bag thieving starts. It's not just, oh, well, can they take the collection and not dip their hand in or anything else? No, it, there are many, many signs of covetousness, aren't there? And, and again, if that's something that you maybe suffer with, that's something you need to pray and get out of your life, don't you? Especially if you ever wanted to go into the ministry. Okay, verse 4 then. So, so back over. Uh, so, sorry, sorry. Let's, um, let's stay in, in uh, 1 Timothy here. So chapter 3 and verse 4, it says, One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? So if you're covetous, you, you won't rule well your own house, will you? Because if your focus is on money, is on gaining, is on filthy lucre, are you really going to rule your house? Well, I'd say you're not, are you? Because okay, your kids, your family, your house should be of a big, big priority to you. Not just getting rich. Verse 6 says, Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Now, I don't care how long, because apparently he'd been listening and involved in YouTube stuff for a long time. I don't care how long you've been listening to good preaching. Everyone I've spoke to says he was full of pride and ego. Everyone I spoke to said it was oozing off him. Pride and ego. And he might have been hearing the word, the word for a long time, but for how long was he doing it? James 1.22 says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. Okay, I don't think he was ever doing the word. If he was at that point still just, just full of this ego. I mean, someone was telling me about a video that he was apparently in front of a punch bag going on about the strength of young men. And, and in a vest on the punch bag and put it up on YouTube. Like this guy was trying to teach. He tried to write a book on relationship advice, having been married for, for several months. I mean, just it just beggars belief, doesn't it? Um, full of pride, full of ego, and, and that's a novice. You can be saved for 20 years. You can listen to sermons and know what to model yourself on. Because, I, I, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not convinced by this guy at all that he even is a man of God. You can model yourself on sermons for years, but, but it's your behaviour that counts, isn't it? Your behaviour is the sign. Not what you preach, not if you sound like you got the doctrine right. Anyone can copy doctrine. Okay, verse 7 says, Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Okay, once they heard the facts, I don't think even the unsaved world wouldn't be disgusted with his thieving, would they? 
Okay, he, he again will never have a good report of them which are without, will he? Um, okay, turn over to Titus 1 though for a few more failed qualifications. Okay, Titus chapter 1. And from verse 6, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of right or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. He's sounding pretty self-willed to me, isn't he? Selfish being another word. How selfish do you have to be? To, from the beginning, how selfish do you have to be to basically force yourself into a pastor position when you're unqualified? And was it for the people? Was, oh, these people just said, no, it wasn't. It was for himself, for his own ego, his own pride, his own, his own pocket really was what it was. Selfish, self-willed. Verse 8, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. Well, he loves hospitality when they're paying rent, doesn't he? He loves hospitality when they're paying rent. A lover of good men. Now, Salam did love good men. He did love good men as long as they were black. Okay, that's the truth. He loved good men as long as they were black because Salam was a racist. No doubt about it. Salam was a racist. Okay? And, and again, like I said before, news flash, it's not only white people that are racist. Salam was a follower of the communist false prophet Martin Luther King. He used to do videos with a poster of him in the background. Imagine if I had that on the back here while I was doing my sermons. He used to do videos from his YouTube with Martin Luther King in the background. If you don't know much about him, I, I, I you know, recommend you go there. I think there's a good documentary by Pastor Anderson on him as well. Um, he was also an open advocate of the BLM movement. You know, the Black Lives Matter movement. You know that one? Anyone looked into that at all? Well, um, in case you're not aware, in 2013, Patrice Cullors, Alicia Garza and Opal Tometi formed the Black Lives Matter network. Oh, I'm sure what lovely, courageous, bold women of colour they were. Cullors identifies as a queer. In 2016, she married Janaya Khan, a social activist who co-founded Black Lives Matter Toronto. In 2004, Alicia, this is Alicia Garza, came out as a queer to her family. In 2008, she married Malachi and took the name Gaza, settling in Oakland. What an abomination to be called Malachi as well. Um, what sort of man of God supports these sick, vile perverts? What sort of man of God gives any lip service to this joke, disgusting movement? Like, just amazing, is it? And I'll tell you, the sort of man that preaches that as God looked after his people Israel, there's nothing wrong with Salaam looking after his people. Yeah, that was what, one of the things that he preached. Nothing wrong with him looking after his people. So who exactly are Salaam's people? Is it people from Africa? Asia, maybe. Do, do we have Pacific Islanders in there? Southeast Asian, maybe? Mixed race? South Americans, do we have them in there as well? Is it anyone, basically, with any colour in their skin? What if I get a good tan? Do you think I'd become one of his people then? No? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe if I was down, maybe if I was in a Mediterranean country, I was getting the sun all, all year, every year, maybe I might qualify for one of his people then, will I? Because that's how ridiculous it is, isn't it? Because you notice these guys, they never go, my people, just the nation they were born in, or whatever that is, or just however many years they could go back. It's always then it comes down to colour, doesn't it? Always comes down to colour. What's that got to do with it? How are the, how are the, the Asians, his people then? Or how are the Africans? Or whatever. It's absolutely ridiculous. Turn to Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3. And from verse 8. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. And that's what all this racist stuff is, isn't it? It's anger, wrath, malice, propagated by divisive media, isn't it? That's what it is. It's just pushed on people. They're encouraged to be angry, wrathful, have malice towards people of a certain colour based on something that their claimings happened thousands or maybe hundreds or maybe tens of years. Verse 9, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Stop lying about your so-called genetics. You all go back to Noah. Stop lying about it. You're lying about it. It's nonsense. You're all one people. 
Verse 10, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now, although that's speaking about the new creature in Christ, let's not forget that we are also made in the image of God, aren't we? That's every single person. Everyone here is made in the image of God. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. That's all of us. That's all of us. Therefore, you shouldn't care what skin colour Jesus is, should you? Does anyone care what skin colour Jesus was? Who cares? Because we're all created in his image. And, and if we're all created in his image, I don't think there's any importance about the skin colour. Because it's not down to that detail, is it? absolute nonsense and, and I'm so sick of this stuff and it's so pushed on people isn't it and you've got to be an idiot to get sucked into that you've got to be an absolute fool as we know he is and was and still will be a fool okay verse 11 where there is neither Greek nor Jew circumcision nor uncircumcision barbarian Scythian bond nor free but Christ is all and in all so which people are yours Salam? Which ones are yours out of those? Because there's none of that if you're in Christ. There's none of that if you're in Christ. You can get on with that with the world if you want, if you're not in Christ. Have your little squabbles about who's who and decide what criteria, what shade of brown fits, you know, your people, what shade of white. What sh it's just ridiculous, isn't it? Verse 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Mercies and kindness, that's to all people, isn't it? Mercies and kindness to all people, not just to the people you claim are yours. Okay, not just the people you claim are your people. Forbearing one another, verse 13, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So if you feel that someone's great-great-grandfather was mean to your great-great-grandfather, try forgiving them, you racist. <laughs> try forgiving them, you absolute racist, you hypocrite. Verse 14, above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Okay, that's putting others first, not your racist propaganda salam. That's putting other people first. Verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Then you might have peace with all the brainwash from the racially divisive media, you fool. Yeah, you might finally have some peace from that and stop getting brainwashed. Back to 1 Timothy 3 and verse 8. Sober, just, holy, temperate. Okay, he seems to be failing on all points here, doesn't he? But temperate, that's self-control. You know, the self-control not to dip your hand into the money bag. That sort of self-control is one of the qualities, temperate. The self-control, not to just jump on the worldly, fleshly, racist, Black Lives Matter propaganda, that sort of self-control. Yeah, and, and what an idiot. Like, how do you get pulled into that as a man of God? How do you get sucked into that? It's one thing when you're new, when you're a babe in Christ, but come on, you only have to read through the Bible once to see that it's completely unbiblical, all of that. What an absolute, absolute idiot. Um, okay, verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Okay, so as well as holding fast to the faithful word on key doctrines, something that Salam started to water down and change on, there could also be an application of soul winning here too, couldn't there? Okay, so you don't have to turn to but 2 Timothy 4, 5, he says, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. So a pastor should at least do some evangelizing, shouldn't he? Yeah. Shouldn't he? Okay, now as a voluntary pastor with a full-time job, it's tough to go multiple times in the week, yeah? I'd give him that, yeah? Writing sermons, believe it or not, takes a long time. 
And there is many other parts of being a pastor. It's not just writing sermons, reading your Bible. But there is a lot of time. And if you're voluntary, if you're not full-time, then I'd understand that going multiple times soul winning might be difficult. But you would expect maybe once a week, wouldn't you? At least. Once a month? You, you'd think you'd get away once a month, wouldn't you? Yeah? Well, no, Pastor Salam, and pastor, I use the term loosely there, it's just what he calls himself, went a handful of times during his near three-year ministry. A handful of times. All right, what's that about? A so-called soul-winning church. What happened to being an evangelist? Well, no, Pastor Salam went only a few times. He went, and I think probably most of those times, when he went regularly, was before he conned everyone to join his church. Okay, handful of times. Turn back to 1 Timothy 3 again for the last few failings here um, in qualifications. Now, from verse 8, Paul starts giving the qualifications of a deacon, okay, or assistant. Now, within this, there's some, there's some criteria for a deacon's wife, which she should fulfill. Now, this would obviously apply to the pastor's wife as well, okay? So, let's see what it says. 1 Timothy 3.11 Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Now, grave is honourable. Slanderer is someone who defames others. Sober is watchful, cautious. Faithful in all things is trustworthy, loyal, dutiful, and full of faith. Now, when you think of a woman with those qualities, you don't think of a worldly model who still attends a Pentecostal church on the Saturdays during his ministry. So she's going to the Pentecostal church on a Saturday. I don't know what sort of church is running Saturday services anyway. And then on a Sunday, she was going to Nioth. But she was actively pursuing a career as, a, as an actress and was also a worldly model. And she wasn't modelling knee-length skirts. Um, yet again, another... F I mean, it's, it's, it's like, like I said, Judges 17 was really apt for this, wasn't it? Because it's just, it wouldn't be out of place there. It's just ridiculous. It borders on the comical, doesn't it? Borders on the comical. It is comical if it wasn't so serious that he's abusing that position, that he's stealing off God's people. Okay, and back to Titus 1. So just flick over to Titus 1 here. Um are we Titus 1? Sorry, guys. Um, yeah, Titus 1. And from verse 10. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not, for filthy lucre's sake. And there you have an apt description of salam don't you an unruly and vain talker and deceiver now i'm hoping that this sermon will hopefully stop his mouth for good okay and and i want to edify people here as well and I, we're going to talk about that in a second but i hope for one this sermon if anyone ever wants to look him up this sermon we're going to make sure will always be on youtube even if they cancel our our, our page will have a backup. We'll just keep going with this sermon. So it, that guy should never be behind a pulpit ever again. Okay, and have to find another way of ripping people off. But he has already subverted whole houses, isn't he? There are people that went to that church, and, and like I said, whether or not they were misled, misguided, and yeah, they were in error, but there are people that have gone there, they've tithed money. I mean, how sick must they feel now? And, and what other stuff was he teaching? I mean, I tried to sit through one sermon, and that was hard going. Okay, and how, how, I mean, who knows what he's taught over the, those couple of years, whatever it was. Teaching things which he ought not. And why? For the money. Was it for the money? And he started watering down, I believe, his, his doctrine because his church never grew. So he had 15, whatever it was, people at the end of his ministry, similar to the beginning of his ministry. And I think he just wanted to start getting more and more people in. But what he forgot is that God builds the church, doesn't he? And God isn't going to build a false church like that until he goes full off in a false doctrine. Then the devil will build his church, won't he? Okay, Psalm 119 verse 127 says, Therefore I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. If only Salam had the same love for God's commandments as the psalmist did there, eh? 
above gold, above fine gold, because he, the, first, the first clear instruction on a qualification, wasn't it, was having, having, having children, having faithful children, husband and one wife. Um, okay, so what can we learn from this whole mess ourselves, though? So firstly, and again, you don't have to turn there, famous scripture, Matthew 4, 4, but the answer said it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Okay, the word of God isn't a pick and mix, is it? Okay, the word of God is not a pick and mix. Man's wisdom will always fail if it goes against God's, won't it? It will always fail. And we see that, we've seen that with this church, haven't we? An unqualified pastor, now it's just all been destroyed. It's all come out in the wash, what was really going on. And as we grow as a church, we will eventually, I hope, if things go well, we'll be planting churches in the future, won't we? We'll be planting churches in the future. And we must ensure that we don't cut any corners either. Yeah? So anyone that decides that I want to be involved in ministry, take heed that that it's not just having kids. Okay? There's a list of qualifications that men, of the, men who want to go into the ministry should be striving towards. Striving towards to qualify one day to pastor. Okay, because it's not just a pick and mix. Well, I like that one. Well, okay, well, I'm a bit covetous or, you know, maybe, well, I've got a few ish, you know, a few things. I've got a few problems on that list, but hey ho, at least I've got the kids. Or maybe, oh, with him, it wasn't, I don't even have the kids, you know? Um, no, we, we should be striving to fulfill every qualification if you want to eventually pastor. And, and that goes in other areas as well. We should be striving our utmost to follow every single commandment, shouldn't we? Every single one. We should never, never cut corners. Um, because eventually it will fail, won't it? It will fail. Um, and that goes for every area of our life, doesn't it, as well? That goes for every area. If you're thinking, well, I know I should be doing this at home. I know I should be doing this with my kids. I know I should be doing this at, at work. I know I should be doing that. In whatever other area outside of the church, if there's clear commandment from God and you are disobeying that commandment, it's going to fail, isn't it? It's going to fail and it's going to come back to bite you. Um, and when there's clear commandments, follow them. Let's turn to, turn, to, um, turn to Ecclesiastes. Um, I think I've written down the wrong note here, but I think I wanted to go to Ecclesiastes. Yeah, in chapter 12... And from verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. On that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for this church. I thank you for your word. I thank you for just the clear, clear instructions that you give us. Instructions that we should all strive to follow. Um, I thank you that you've, you've made this manifest. It, it took a couple of years and um, eventually it all came out, didn't it? And, and I thank you that you made that clear. I hope that you'll help this sermon to warn others to stay away from this man, to stay away from this charlatan. Um, and I hope that you'll also, that we'll all here be edified by this sermon to, to, all, to all learn from this, to all learn from these errors, to all apply it to our own lives as well. Um, we pray now that you, you'll just bless the rest of our day, help us to, to get lots of souls saved this afternoon and to continue to build this church. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen.